0: I am super excited to be here today with you and with two people that I have admired and appreciated from afar, but now a little bit more up close in the time that we've had together. And uh, Dr. Dan Wallace was here last year when Dr. Bill Mounts was here to do the lecture. Do you remember that? If you don't remember that or if you weren't here for that, uh, you can go online and you can find that interview. Mark did an amazing job. I am not Mark Lanier, so I don't do an amazing job of interviewing but I am his stunt double. So, uh, he sends me in for all the really hard stunts. He does most of his own stunts, but, uh, I, I come in for the hard stuff. And it's a delight to do that. I am, uh, gonna be sharing a little bit about the, the lecture, about the lecture. We'll be answering questions toward the end that were asked last night that we didn't have time to ask. And if you ask one of those questions, great. But if not, and, and it, it wasn't answered, then what I'll do is uh, we'll figure out a way to get your questions answered after today. But one of the great ways to do that is in the fall, on October the 7th, at the Lanier Library, there's going to be a thing called Snapshot that we're going to describe in a few minutes. It's an event that we hope, I hope is going to be in the, in the big hall, the new... Great Hall at, uh, at the at the library in the new building. So uh, we'll invite you to that. You'll hear more about that. If you haven't signed up for the newsletter, please do so because there's a lot of great information from the Linear Theological Library. Well, uh, it is my joy to also welcome to our stage not only Dan Wallace but also Tommy Wasserman who comes to us from yet another place. You'll hear it in his accent, I think. Uh, I
1: don't know what you mean.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, we're <laughs> the ones with the accent, right? So, so great accent, Tommy. Tell us, wher, where did uh, Brazil, you get that right? yeah, accent? I know,
1: I'm from Sweden. Yeah, uh, a town called Örebro. It's that uh, character with the O and two dots. Örebro. You don't have that in your yeah, alphabet. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we can't say yeah. that letter. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That's
0: uh, that's where you're from. Yeah, Is that where I'm you grew up?
1: No, I actually grew up further down south.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah. And and what are you doing today?
1: Today I'm working on a kind of a seminary, School of Theology, and I'm a professor of New Testament. So a lot of... And my research is focused actually on Greek manuscripts and the text of the New Testament. Mm. So my hobby is my work and research.
0: So you grew up in Sweden. And how did you come to faith?
1: Oh, uh, I was a teenager and uh, mm. I was, of course, I'm, I was a bit philosophical and uh, the the meaning of life, you know, um, I, I, I struggled a lot with that and mm. uh, suddenly after, on a Friday night after the chess club and I've been... Playing for five hours, one game it 's really a long you know when you play chess. I went out. It was dark, and two um, ladies came up to me and started talking about Jesus, sharing the testimony mm. and I was prepared to you do, I was always interested in talking to Jehovah witnesses and uh, to Christians about their stupid faith and everything mm. and it, it was so naive and it was no good arguments and so on. And we started talking, and uh, time flew. It was like over an hour, and they I, I had an experience there. Mm. Uh, really, life-changing. Uh, I just, I was convinced. Mm. Not by um, strong arguments, I don't think, but mm. life somehow. And it mm. was like a veil uh, that somehow take, fell. Take and I had to follow, uh, follow them to their cafe, which was over. It was after they were cleaning, huh. <laughs> and uh, mm. to pray. Uh, I had a, a good friend there from school who recognized me, and uh, he became my very good friend. We started a company together eventually, but uh, that was the night mm. when I received Christ.
0: Wow. And you said you were a teenager. Was that I was a young, 16. 16? 16, okay. And where did you go to college?
1: We don't have college.
0: You don't have college. Where did <laughs> uh, you go to? But,
1: but uh, this was in, uh, in Växjö, uh, a town in the south, okay. um, where I went to what we call gymnasium. And then after gymnasium, you go to university.
0: University so, after yeah. that, okay.
1: My university was, I took some English, and then I took theology at my seminary, which mm-hmm. has that type of accreditation higher education, accreditation. So I took theology. But that was much later. It was in the 90s.
0: Mm. So today you're, you're known widely as, a, as, a, as a, a person who loves the manuscripts, cares about them, reads them, uh, can help interpret this history for us. Because this is our history. I want to show a picture that uh, comes to us from the, the volume that we're giving away. Uh, this is, uh, Dan, tell us what we're looking at there. You can see it right down there. I think, and it's kind of small,
2: but uh, I think you can see it. This is from from what manuscript is it? This is papyrus number 46. We have in that facsimile set three different papyri. They have many pages uh, among them. This one actually has 86 different leaves, and all of them are from the 3rd century, from the 200s, very, very early. P46 or papyrus 46 has... Uh, nine of Paul's letters in it, in whole, not quite in part, but most of the leaves are about this size, which is absolutely stunning because papyri, we don't have any papyri manuscripts of the New Testament that are complete, but they're all fragmentary, and yet this is about the least fragmentary one there is. Of an original 104 leaves, we still have 86. Mm. And it's a fascinating manuscript. We photographed this. The Center for the Study of New Testament Manuscripts photographed this and the other two uh, papyri in 2013 and 2014. And they were, each leaf is between two plates of glass. And uh, they're, they're in Dublin and at the University of Michigan, split between those two locales. And as we were working in Dublin, there would be four or five people in one small room they actually put an air conditioning unit in this basement so we could have it nice and cool for Americans. <laughs> and uh, they would not allow any of the staff to touch even the plates of of the papyri. Instead, when they when they wanted us to, when we were ready to shoot another page, they'd say, "Everybody, freeze! Don't move!" And you'd have one steward from the library pick up this plate and move it that far and put it down. And then we could adjust it, but that was it. And that went on for a month for us to get mm-hmm. those papyri photographed. And wow. then Hendrickson uh, published these volumes. The papyri in these volumes, that's the exact size of each papyrus in them. And it's with black backgrounds and white backgrounds. Gorgeous, some of the most important texts of the New Testament. P45 has uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or actually Matthew, John, Luke, and Mark in that order and Acts. This has Paul's letters and P47 has Revelation, all of them fragmentary. P47. His microphone sounds a little odd.
0: It, is there a way to... I'm not sure the clarity of it. It's my... It's your head, voice. Head cold, yes, it's your, your head cold. head cold, yeah. Okay. probably would Can it I it just means. say something while you... Yeah, say I, something about
1: I just want to say that what you see here, it's always nice to talk about this, the images you see here. And uh, half down, you see something is going on. There is a title there. And uh, perhaps you remember from maths in school, you, you remember pi. <laughs> okay, so you see a pi there, yeah. Pros Galatas. So perhaps you can guess which letter this is that starts here with the title Pros Galatas. Galatians.
0: Galatians, yeah, to, exactly.
1: To the Galatians.
0: So that's what follows down here. Yeah. Uh, What's up here, unusually, is the book of what? Which book is it?
2: Ephesians before Galatians.
0: Now, in our Bibles, Galatians comes before Ephesians. In this particular manuscript, Ephesians comes before Galatians. Right. Do you see that often, A kind Uh, of a change of order?
2: No, you see Galatians
0: before Ephesians. Almost always, even though Ephesians is a longer letter. Right. Word count and and line count.
2: And and the... the Intention of the Paul's, Paul's letters, their organization is from the largest to the smallest. Hmm. And so Ephesians should go before Galatians. Hmm. But in, and, and what you see here, let's see if I can point it out, the stick away. Uh-uh. Is that right there? Yeah. The stick away? Yeah. yeah. So that's telling uh, the reader how many lines of text the scribe wrote because they got paid by the line. Hmm. And there are more stichoi, more lines for Ephesians than Galatians. But I'm not sure the reason why it switched to Galatians to Ephesians. And, of course, we look at this and say, well, that scribe, he got it wrong. Well, this is the earliest copy we have of Galatians and Ephesians in the world. Maybe all the rest of us got it wrong.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it could could well be. Well, the Bibles that we have today, the ones that we treasure, the ones that are on our phones, the ones that... In our, our living rooms or in our, on our desk. Those Bibles came to us after New Testaments after 1400 years roughly of being hand copied. That's a long time to be hand copied. And so there were, there were a lot of people involved in that. There were a lot of scribes, a lot of writers, a lot of readers were involved in that. And I want to talk a little bit about through, through, through some PowerPoints, uh, about what we're going to see here in relationship to the uh let's see i'm not for some reason that's not showing up there we go okay here we go we're back to that main screen hopefully we'll, we'll show it at the very end if you'd like to capture it but i think we're going to announce the winner at 10 right at the very end very good todd all right um, here's here's the uh here's and now i i didn't i'm sorry i didn't ask your permission to show this Is you don't have it i don't have my permission okay okay let me let me go to the next slide and go back <laughs> No, go back. That's no, fine. that's okay. <laughs> uh, Dan runs a very prestigious and important center for the study of New Testament manuscripts. Dan, what's the point of what you're doing? You started this, and now you're the CEO of it. What's the, what are you trying to do?
2: We started in 2002, and the center's initial goal was to try to digitize or make sure every single Greek New Testament manuscript in the world is digitized and accessible. Now, right from the beginning, we realized we wouldn't be able to do all that. There are over 2 million pages of Greek New Testament manuscripts out there, and there's uh, over 5,000 manuscripts in 253 different sites throughout the world. So I've been to Australia and to New Zealand and Brazil and Middle Eastern countries and Europe and even uh, private collections here and there. Uh, it's, it's an awful lot of work. And in our 21 years, we now have about 40% of the manuscripts on our site in, in digital format. And by no means did we do all those photographs ourselves. But if we can get all of these manuscripts digitized and made accessible for free forever for anyone, then scholars can have access to this for two reasons. They can now trace the transmission of the text in a given locale, a given period, and see how it changed, see the, the various uh, comments that are made by the uh, church fathers, the very marginal notes, to see how scribes changed the text. We can trace the history of the Bible before the printing press
0: mm.
2: and in, in a very, very accurate way of what we still have. And ultimately, we're also trying to recover the original wording. Now, I don't want to scare anybody here and think, oh, they haven't got the original wording in the New Testament? Well, I'd, I'd say... Yeah, we do have it, but in our Greek New Testaments we have a text and then we have the footnotes known as an apparatus, and that apparatus gives the different textual variances, differences from the main text. I would say we do have the original New Testament either above the line or below the line, and that's the question, where is it? Almost always we can say what we have in our Greek New Testaments and what you have in your English New Testaments, is very, very, very close to the exact wording of the original. But we do not know in a number of places what the original text says. Yeah,
0: this is the end, just to, to illustrate it, this is the end, so to, the, to Philemon, and here's the text above, the Greek text that we use. When, we, when, we, when you do the NIV translation and you work on that committee, you go from the, this text now this happens to be the 26th edition of Nestleland, so it's not the most and up to date. But uh, what are we up to now? 29th. 28th. 28. 28 now. So this is and Tommy's, this is the Tommy's apparatus on the down years, here. You? Do
1: what? Say it again. No, but uh, yeah, I'm involved in in working on uh, right now on the next coming editions.
0: Coming editions. There
1: is a small. This is the small edition. There are there is a large edition editio critica major. That's the minor.
0: Ah, this is the major. And
1: uh, like for example for Acts you would have one, two big volumes for the text and and further volumes for uh, various uh, supplementary material. So...
0: In all, how many manuscripts do we have of the Greek, just the Greek, Because I know it's translated soon into Syriac and Ethiopic and uh, Latin and other languages as well. But in the Greek, what do we have, Dan? Uh,
2: Certainly we have over 5,000, probably over 5,500. The official number, last I counted, was 5,999. But the official number is not the actual number. And that's because in the cataloging process that's been going on for 140 years almost, uh, there have been duplicates where somebody counted a manuscript that was... Uh, what counts as a manuscript is not necessarily a whole manuscript and certainly not a whole New Testament. We only have something like 61 or 62 complete New Testament manuscripts in Greek. But it's a portion of the New Testament. But let's say that portion might be Matthew and Mark, and we call that Manuscript 2231, Well, years later, maybe Luke and John from that same manuscript are discovered somewhere else in the world. And when it gets catalogued, the catalogers didn't realize it was part of this other manuscript. So at first it looks like it's a different manuscript, so it might get 2293. But the reality is they are both the same manuscript. So you get a number of manuscripts that get uh, different catalog numbers. Some manuscripts have gone missing, uh, there's some other things to, about the manuscripts that are just fascinating to think about, but although the official number is 5,999, the actual is somewhere between 5500 and 5800.
0: And these are papyrus, and these are parchment manuscripts, and over time they do degrade. And paper. And paper. In the later So industry. over time they do degrade. That's why we need the digital photographs that will last, God willing, forever, right? Let's just comment on a few of these. I've got a few images of manuscripts.
1: Uh, Tommy, what are we looking at here? This is uh, uh, it's called Papyrus 52 in the list of uh, New Testament manuscripts. All, uh, these manuscripts also have another uh, designation. In this case, this is in the, in the library in Britain, Ryland's Library, and it has a, a shelf number in that library. I think it's uh, Rylands 457 or something.
2: 451 I think. 451
1: four, possibly. So but we know it as papyrus 52 and it's it's very small and it's a fragment from John 18 and we can say that this fragment is part of a book a codex it's not a, a roll or a scroll and how can we know this do we have any Sherlock Holmes here Mm. How can we be positive? We can even say how many pages, roughly, it would take to copy the Gospel of John in this manuscript. We can say what we're missing. How is that possible? You. <laughs> I can't hear what he's saying, but probably you're right. <laughs> Ten points. No, it's no. It's written on both yeah, sides. I
0: can't, I can't yeah. I can't
1: it, it, did you say that? It's, I, I just said how tight Okay. This papyrus manuscript is written on both sides, so you have some verses from John 18 here, and on the other side you have other verses, and then you you can reconstruct the the actual page, if you're Sherlock Holmes mm. or manuscript researcher. Yeah. So,
2: like yourself. You were right. It is four five seven. Sorry. Four five seven. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. I didn't want to say it.
0: But. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is it, it, w- this is a papyrus manuscript. That is very old. I have seen some that are, that are younger than this that are very dark. But when I saw this back in 2000, I was surprised how the color, it was, it was a honey color like you see right here, rather than being darkened by age. Any reason why that would be dark or, or light like this? Is there any thoughts about that? The,
2: the, the darkness could be due to a number of factors. But one of them is actually the processing by which the papyri were made, where they soak them in water, uh, and uh, the longer they soak it, the darker it gets. It's, mm. So it's this, we don't have a lot of evidence on this, but it suggests that those manuscripts that are actually darker were valued a bit more. It's like wine. If you, if you age it for 10 years, it's going to cost a whole lot more than if you wine it for three hours. Mm. So... That won't be one. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. this, this is a Baptist church. Baptist uh, church, if yeah. You, we if you age your grape juice for 10 years... You know, so. Yeah.
0: Uh, could we, can we date this with any accuracy? It's
1: good that you ask. Hmm. So, uh, first, uh, when this was published, I can't remember uh, really if I wasn't born when it was published, when it was made known to the world, but there were some scholars, actually, that were dating the Gospel of John very late, Mm. Uh, They wanted to to date it really late. But when this uh, papyrus came out, it was dated to around, in in the second century, we can say 125 plus minus 50 Mm. or so. Uh, It was extremely early, and that actually changed. It had an effect on that debate, on the very dating of the gospel, because it couldn't be uh, after this manuscript. Mm. Mm. Uh, But... In recent decades, there is a trend to be more cautious, because it, it has no date on it, stamped. It, this is uh, uh, called paleography, paleography, when you try to date and, and look at the hand, you know the development of the Greek different styles and hands, and you have a lot of manuscripts to compare with. And you try to try your best to date it. If you don't have an archaeological context, and in this case there was no such context, so the trend in more recent decades is to be more cautious Mm. and maybe have an interval of uh, in in a century, in hundred years. Mm. And I would say that uh, it's dated 150 plus minus 50. Is my opinion.
0: So second century.
1: Yes, it's the second century, and and we uh, have about six manuscripts from the second century, which is really impressive.
0: Yeah, and the majority of New Testament texts are written in the first century, between 50 and about 100. Mm -hmm. You about the originals? The originals. originals. So So we're not that far from the original with this. Exactly. We
1: don't have the original copies. They're called autographa or autographs. We don't have them.
0: So, So how, if we had one of those, how would we know it? That was one of Mel's questions. Yeah. If we had an autograph.
1: I have something to say, but you can start.
0: Okay. Dan, what do you think?
2: Well, first of all, the New Testament documents would have been written on scrolls rather than a codex. And so mm. if you think you have an original manuscript, but it's on a codex, that is immediately ruled out. It would be on a roll, and on, on the roll or the scroll, the, the lines are following the horizontal fibers of the papyrus on the inside of the papyrus because you have diagonal strips of papyrus on the outside. They hammer it together. It naturally adheres. And so those are vertical fibers on the outside, which are very difficult to write along. They would write on the inside of these rolls. The second thing I would look for, and, and we don't have New Testament manuscripts on rolls except for just a few that are on the backside of something else that was already used for some other purpose second thing I would look for is a a different hand at the end of the manuscript and probably a larger hand, a larger handwriting. Paul says in Galatians 6, see what big letters I'm writing with. I don't think that was due to his eyesight when he was blinded on the road to Damascus. I think it was because he took the the pen from his secretary and appended a note. He does say in 2 Thessalonians 3.17, I conclude all my letters. I Paul am writing this. It was a way for him to authenticate it, and we just see,
0: like we sign a letter today, right? Uh, that we're sending we, with our own hand, regardless right. of who generated it
2: at right. that point. And so, you'd expect to see a different handwriting uh, towards the end. I think you'd also expect to see a very even number of smudges throughout. Smudges, wax drippings, perhaps because of the candles while they're, uh, or other other uh, oil lamps, perhaps, where they're getting, uh, they're working through the manuscript. Copyists are not just selecting verses; they want to copy the whole manuscript. Mm. And on the outside, I'd expect it to be pretty rough and smudgy because how many times it had been handled. The New Testament is quite different from the other ancient Greek literature in that if you have Plato and you have Plato's Republic, that's going to last for hundreds of years because it's not going to be the lifeblood of your church and of what it means to be a Christian. Yeah, you want to drag Plato off the shelf and read it, but you get Paul's letter to the Romans and you're an early Christian, you're going to want to know exactly what he says. You, want, you, you go to Rome, you say, I know you guys got a letter from Paul. Let's get that copied. I want to have that for, back from my church. Those things got copied and recopied and handled and rehandled until, after a certain point, several decades later, they're all just turned to dust. I suspect.
0: Yeah. Take a look at this is one of my early Greek New Testaments, and we get a chance to see that the back has come off of it because I've used it so much, and then their pages are starting to get raggedy, and some of them are gone missing, and that's just what happens when you use a book, right? Whether it's papyrus or modern book, yeah. 26th 26, 26 edition. Can
1: I Please. add something to yeah. the reply? Do you remember when we looked at the uh, uh, other page from uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians, there was a title. This mm-hmm. uh, particular manuscript, which has so many of Paul's letters, it comes from a collection. But Paul didn't write the collection. He wrote single letters. So we know that they did not look like this. If you have these traits coming from a collection... It comes from a later stage, so to speak. Do you understand? Yeah. Hmm. Similarly, in this case, with a scrap from John, there are actually some abbreviations of some holy names. I can't remember exactly, but probably uh, Jesus, Jesus. It's uh, abbreviated with we'll, a John. We'll actually look at six.
0: some of those here, to me. Yeah. So
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. and. It's very difficult to it's it's we can exclude it that the New Testament authors all came together and decided let's abbreviate all these holy names all at once
0: in no, the same way no, pretty no. much or similar but way. in our
1: surviving manuscripts which are from the second century very probably and onwards it's almost a universal feature that some of these divine names first and then. It's uh, growing this group. Even even human anthropos is eventually abbreviated in Israel and so on. Um, they it's a universal feature, and probably derives from uh, some later stage, but an early stage, but yet uh, that spread as a scribal convention. It, the Christians had a book culture, actually. And one very interesting feature in one of the oldest manuscripts, and it occurs in several, but Papyrus 75 is when they wrote Stavros, which means cross, or the related verb, crucify.
0: Mm-hmm. It, I I had had,
1: that, yeah. it had the, the tau and the Ru. I don't know if you know the, the Greek Ru. It looks like a P, uh, an American P. They, they did it like a symbol of Christ crucified. It's a visual, so when they write Stavros, you can see. If you can't read, you can see in front of you an image of the crucified. So that's one example of a distinct Christian book culture, which was very exciting. This was a long answer, but I get so excited,
0: uh, yeah. you get excited, don't you?
1: I look told you it's my hobby. L-
0: let's let's take a look at, at this manuscript here. Uh, what are we looking at? We'll be more brief on on the rest of these, but Papyrus 66. it's
2: it, yeah, like P66. P66. Yeah.
0: And uh, tell us a little bit about that, Dan, P-66.
2: P-66 was published in the 1950s It's part of the Bodmer Collection. And it it, it got published in two different uh, pieces, but it has most of John in it. And And this uh, is the beginning of John. This is the very beginning of it. It actually does have a title. It says, Evangelion Cata Anin, that is the gospel according to John. And then it starts out in John 1-1 right after that. There's been a, one of the – I mean, there's many, many significance to P66, one of our very earliest uh, gospel manuscripts of John, and one of the two earliest manuscripts that actually have a title at the beginning of the gospel. Uh, it uh, has at John one one a verse that you may have never heard before if you've been listening to Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code or others – Certain Muslims will say this. They'll say, Emperor Constantine invented the deity of Christ. And in fact, the the book that Dan Brown was basing his uh, Da Vinci Code on was a book where they said there are no manuscripts before the 4th century, which was really amazing to say that. So if Emperor Constantine invented the deity of Christ, in about A.D. 325 at the Council of Nicaea, all this is figmentary, but that 's what some people believe. Then, how do you explain John one one in p sixty six, a manuscript that is earlier than that date? It may be as much as a hundred years earlier, but again, it's difficult to date these manuscripts. So, if you will, read along with me at John one one and, and it says <laughs> You all catch that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Every single manuscript that we have on John 1 says the same thing with reference to who Jesus is. Now, there are some minor little variants in there, but every one of them calls him God. Regardless of the date, regardless of the locale, Jesus is called God long before Constantine invented the deity of Christ. Yeah. Now, that, that's just one thing from right. sixty six. It's not the whole thing. It's not even the most important thing. But f- for us to know that what we believe about the Bible today, what we have in our hands today is in all essential respects what the apostles and their associates wrote back then. That's the point. That's the point, yeah.
1: At the same time, yeah. uh, let's
2: come back to the this area.
1: scribe was a bit sloppy, and corrected himself time and time again. And there are corrections uh, in the text and sometimes an arrow in the margin with some verse he forgot. It wasn't a verse, but uh, some some even long sentences and so on. And that just also speaks, when we think about the New Testament or the Bible, that it did not fall down from the sky. (laughs) It was given to humans who wrote it down, and it was copied by humans who might have fallen asleep or might have skipped a whole line because the eye couldn't follow and, uh, or repeated themselves and so on. So this is how we got the New Testament books, which is good to know, so we don't... We, we are educated, mm. and we try to uh, do research as historians, actually. This is the humanities in its best, I think, uh, form to look at the New Testament. That's humanity's power excellence.
0: So when a scribe skips a line, we, we have other manuscripts that contain that line. Yes. And so we can go back exactly. and take a look and say, wait a minute, this scribe may have fallen asleep or whatever it might have been. Is, yeah. He might have been distracted and he missed a word or two. We can restore all that. It's not as if it's lost.
1: Yes. I, I, yeah, can I just oh, cite please, yeah. myself from the panel? Uh, yeah. it's because most scribes did their job copying the text that we can study those scribes that did not do their job. So. The ones that did their job. Yeah.
2: Well, and, and be- the, the, thanks to them. There's two kinds of, of changes, generally speaking, that the scribe made: those that are unintentional, mm. and those that are intentional. The unintentional ones are the easiest to find and correct. So these early scribes especially did that kind of a thing. But let me, let me give an illustration in English. Let's say you had a copy of the Declaration of Independence and there was no printing press back then, and you see this copy, and so you uh, want to copy it out by hand for yourself. And you see in the preamble, I'm sorry, the preamble to the um, Constitution, it says, We the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect onion. Now you look at that, you say, that's a stupid mistake. He meant cucumber. Now you're not going to go in that direction. You're going to recognize what the mistake is, and it's easily fixable. The problem sometimes is that a mistake that a scribe thinks is a mistake is actually what the original text said. It's not going to be something like that. But then they change it because they think the last scribe got it wrong. And so it'll compound more errors. And that especially happens when you look at uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic Gospels, where scribes tended to harmonize one Gospel with another. And if they see Mark doesn't harmonize, doesn't say the same words the same way, it looks like it's a discrepancy with Matthew. He may change the text of Mark thinking the last scribe got it wrong.
1: I must just tell a funny thing from a manuscript, because they're so fascinating. It's one of the most important manuscripts. We talked about it the other day, Codex Vaticanus. I consider it the best, a top-notch quality.
0: We're going to see that in a minute. But in, in
1: the beginning of Hebrews, there is a correction. Someone corrected the text. But a later corrector, who came afterwards, was not happy with... That With the first corrector. So he's, he wrote in the margin in Greek, more, uh, idiot, let the text be. Don't, yeah, you idiot. That's funny. Yeah.
0: It is funny. Uh, this Now, this is not it, but we're going to see it in that particular page in just a minute. I have that okay, page. Okay, I'm sorry. Now, I, I don't have high-quality resolution on mine, but at least we'll understand what we're looking at here. So here's here's the text. Let's just comment on a few features. I'm gonna circle those features for you. What are we looking at there, Dan? You don't have. It what? looks like a mu and an alpha.
2: That's actually the page number. Page is it, number is, it, is this is P46. I take it, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah uh-huh. Of course. Yeah, there at the top. Okay. So I should yeah.
0: have used your image here. You got a better image. We than I do. Have.
2: That's why I, I wonder about this. Yeah. Uh, just before Hebrews is Romans. In P forty six, Hebrews comes right after, and there's a whole fascinating history about the, the struggle location. of Hebrews into the canon. We won't get into that, but but actual every page number in P forty six is numbered. That's unusual. Uh, usually manuscripts, if they're going to number anything, it's it's going to be the choir or the folds at the very beginning of each new um, four leaf fold, or they'll number the leaf. So on the right. Uh, page. that's what they number, but this is one of those manuscripts and a very early one that numbers the pages. Oh. So it says Pros Hebraeus, so this is the, the letter to the Hebrews. Let I mean,
0: get that.
2: Yeah, there we oh, go. yeah, you got the stick away again. Yeah, I got the just, stick away yeah, yeah. as well. So how many that's, lines. That's the, how
1: many lines, right? Yeah,
2: how many lines he wrote for Romans, yeah. Oh. And then it says uh, Prost Hebraeus to the Hebrews. So it's the beginning of the book and can, of Hebrews. Can you
1: all see the correction? Uh, two lines below the title, Prost Hebraeus, at the very last word, there is a correction above the line. So that's an yeah. example of a correction. Now, now why I would they? Do. Why
0: wouldn't they just start over? Here we go, right there, yeah. right, right above there. Why wouldn't they just throw that page away? Say, I made a mistake. Let's start over.
2: There's a um, the St. John's Bible. Have you all heard of the St. John's Bible? It's uh, a very large format. Beautiful parchment Bible that was done recently, and I, I saw it by, hand. It was, by hand, by okay. hand, uh, and with with modern art. It's the Revised Standard Version, but on a large format and done by hand, just like the ancient scribes did. So I saw it, saw it in Minnesota while it was being produced, and I, I looked through one of the uh, a few of the pages and noticed that there was an error. In the margin, well, it was corrected in the margin, like we have here. Mm-hmm. And you would think, with the kinds of money we have today, the importance of what they were going to do this with this of make many copies, sell, sell them. They would just take that out and start over. The problem is, it's not just that one page where there's a mistake. It's that page that is connected to another page. It's a bifolio. So it's you're dealing with four okay. pages, and if you make a mistake on one. Uh, are you going to throw out that whole bifolio, all four of those leaves? Mm. So it, it's both a time saver and a recognition that scribes made mistakes. But this material is, is
0: expensive too, right? I mean, this is it's not, not as expensive as parchment, which is animal skin, mm-hmm. but this is expensive. It's not like a piece of paper that we pull out of the copy right. to write oh. on. And, and writing this is, is a slow process.
2: Because and, you, and it's expensive to to write well to write yeah, exactly. to write well
0: you have to make your own pen the stylus which is the writing instrument you make your own ink you know and all of that just takes time so when mistakes were made or words were left out as in this case it seems yeah it was then the you just you just write above the line or mm-hmm. right beside the line yeah so let's see. I think this is there. One other feature here. I'm gonna take out. Okay. Here's another manuscript. I don't remember which one this is. I'm sorry. You guys can probably recognize it. But I wanna I wanna look at certain features of this. Da 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 Okay. It could be probably sixty. it's it's hard to tell. Okay. I'm not sure exactly, but I wanna look at that feature right there. That looks like an I and a C, and there's a line above it. That's what Dan was talking about earlier, right? And there's another one. There's a a kappa or a K and an E and a line above it. And then there's another sort of I and a C, iota and a sigma with a line above it. And then there's a pi, a new, an iota. It looks like the, the symbol for pi, three point one four one five nine, whatever, followed by N and then I. So Dan, what are we looking at there?
2: There's another one. Yeah. This one here.
0: Oh wait a minute. Yeah, too. there's another couple ones. It's
1: a correction there. I a correction.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't think I have that one flagged. Oh, I'm unflagging. I'm unflagging. Sorry, there we go.
2: I am even the correction down lower.
0: Yeah, there's a correction there. Well, yeah. nevertheless. So what are we looking
2: at? These are not words.
0: The, those are not words. No.
2: Notice the bar above them. That tells the reader that this is not what you read. Don't read this as a word. Instead, what it is is an abbreviation. And the first one is an abbreviation for Jesus. The next one for Lord. Then you have Jesus again. Then you have the Spirit. And then... You have Jesus again. And then mm-hmm. uh, in the, uh, the little correction that's bumped up in the text is also Lord. What the scribes right did from the very earliest times, and we, we have this from the, the earliest manuscripts, is they would have especially four words that apparently were these first four nomina sacra or sacred names, and I would call them even nomina divina. It's Lord, Jesus, Christ, and God. Pneuma, or spirit, came later. So did Huyas, son, right. even Pater, father. And then you get Jerusalem, and even Mary is, oh. uh, uh, that's, that's later, right? That's later. The yeah. earliest ones. But the, the earliest ones are those that give us an indication of how the scribes thought about Jesus, I believe. Now, there's been some suggestions about why they use these nomina sacra, these abbreviated words. And I think the best theory ...is that uh, they were trying to emulate, they were inspired by, not the form, but the significance of the Tetragrammaton. The four-letter name of God, Yahweh, that for the Jews would not be pronounced Yahweh. Those four letters, Hebrew is a consonantal text, it doesn't have vowels. So later in the Middle Ages, vowel points, little dots and dashes underneath or above the letters uh, were added... And what uh, those vowel points were meant to do is to say these are the vowel points that go with the word Adon, not Yahweh. So when you see Yahweh and you see those vowel points, it says don't pronounce Yahweh. Because that's what Orthodox Jews have said. We don't want to profane the name of God. The best way not to profane his name is not to ever even say Yahweh. And so instead they say Adon. This is how we get the word Jehovah. Mm-hmm. Um, early uh, modern translations would have Jehovah, like the King James, even up until the 20th century, some did, which is the vowel points for Adon, but it's the uh, characters for Yahweh. So uh, Jehovah is a made-up word; oh. it's not a real Hebrew word, which means there is no such thing as Jehovah's Witnesses.
0: No such thing. <laughs> So when I get the knock at the door, it might be yeah. Amazon. Yeah.
2: yeah. You, you never but, know. But the, the early Christian scribes, of course, didn't do the same pattern. Right. That they want. It's, it's called kathiv in, kare in Hebrew. What is written and what is read. They're two different things. Hmm. And what is written here is different from what is read.
0: What is written and what is read.
1: I want to add that in the very early Jewish manuscripts, the Dead Sea Scrolls, have you heard about them? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. so we have these uh, Hebrew characters, the normal, but when you come to God's name, they are uh, written in Paleo-Hebrew with very, very much older archaic script. And in this case also, it would warn they stand up, they stand out from the text. For the reader, oh, it's it's God's name.
0: I've I've likened it to to gothic letters. Yeah,
1: you you know,
0: uh, where you know you have a regular font going on, and then all of a sudden you see gothic, and that says, oh, it's special. And
1: that also found its way into the that that type. There are there is a Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint. Some of you have heard about it. So there are Greek manuscripts of the Old Testament, Jewish manuscripts because they translated it before Christ. And in those manuscripts, they also sometimes exchanged Kyrios, Lord, Mm. to the Tetragrammaton. So even in a Greek manuscript, you you have suddenly these old Hebrew characters. Mm -hmm. And this uh, is maybe a good sign that the Christian scribes who would have these, uh, that, that was their scripture actually, could have taken over and developed Oh. Also, interestingly, there is actually evidence from a synagogue of a, an abbreviation of Theos in, mm-hmm. with Norman as, uh, as a Norman sacrum, as a, a divine oh. name, which uh, just uh, tells us uh, it's not easy to kind of say, this is Jewish, this is Christian, and, and it, the first Christians, they were Jews, <laughs> right? Oh. So, the identity of manuscripts and conventions Not easy to to just divide them. Mm. But there is a continuity in the treatment of God's name and eventually Jesus' name, as you said. It's a divine name for these believers, Mm -hmm. which is beautiful.
0: Now, the New Testament, these early manuscripts are, are written in a particular way on the page, Scriptio Continua. And it's sort of like this paragraph that I've written here which is um, if, if we took our language and we didn't have any spaces between words, could you pick out the words? Could you see it? Could you read that? That's exactly sort of what we're looking at with these pages. Now, some uh, punctuation comes along. Some spaces come along at certain places. We'll see a few of those uh, in just a minute. But it's written like that. Yeah. So the earliest New Testament manuscripts... Written in scriptio continua.
2: I, I have a question on this. Yes. You say there are no punctuation marks, space between words. What do you mean, space? Space. Spaced? Spaced. Maybe. maybe. You left out
0: the D. Spaced between. Okay. Let's, so, a, a scribal error. <laughs> so, shoot me. <laughs> space between words. No paragraphs, right? It's all one big paragraph. So we have to discern those kinds of features in the reading thereof.
2: Well, actually, no, they did have paragraphs. They did, uh, the, the manuscripts do break well, this down. Many of them do, or some of the yeah, earliest, but not always the earliest,
0: right? But not all the earliest ones, so. And yeah, no and chapters and verses for sure. Right. Yeah, that comes along much later, uh, we'll reference to your talk last night for sure. Here's a uh, P75, just, uh, early third century, Luke sixteen nine through 21 just a few just so that you see what these guys are working with and dealing with. Can,
1: I, can you go back and I'll just say something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What you see here? Not okay. there? No. Nope. Uh, okay, so can you see towards the end there is a pie, you know from maths, right? The, the, the Greek pi. Can you see there's a sticking out? Yes. And on the line above it there is a space. So this is actually a chapter division and uh, it's not by indention. That we do when we write now, we do a new division by indention. But this is the other way. It's ecthesis, ecthesis. <laughs> I don't know what to, use it to say. <laughs> and also this space. So this is a, a division actually in this uh, papyrus.
0: Hmm. It looks sort of like a colon followed hmm. by the space. Yeah. And then the ecthesis mm-hmm. is on the next line there. So all these features you study, you study, you study you try to figure out what, what the scribes were doing how they were doing it, and uh, that helps us understand how our New Testament has been transmitted to us through the centuries. Here's Vaticanus, Codex, Vaticanus.
1: I get inspiration now.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: okay, I must tell you. Oh, because break. you combined these two, uh, you, you showed us Papyrus 75, which has been a, a dated around 200. so, And yeah. this Vaticanus has been dated around uh, the mid 4th century, so 100, 150 years uh, uh, difference, and uh, there was a debate, you know, among uh, scholars before we knew Papyrus 75, before it was published, and they said that this text in Vaticanus, my darling, Vaticanus, a top-notch manuscript, right, it has an excellent manuscript, uh, excellent text of the New Testament, I should say, Uh, some scholars suggested that, no, this is too good to be true. It must be uh, some kind of ecclesiastical committee which uh, met in Alexandria to have a discussion and to pick out the best text, you know, kind of bring order into a chaos of the (laughs) earliest era because uh, New Testament text was lost. Then they found Papyrus 75 and it turned out that it was nearly identical to Codex Vaticanus. So Papyrus 75 has Luke and John and when they compared the text, they saw, wow, this could be, they are sister manuscripts, which means that this type of text goes back before the second century. And this was also the type of text that Origen, a church father, who wrote many commentaries, he used it in his commentary of, on John in 32 volumes. Yes, in his commentary on John in 32 volumes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sorry. I, I wish you could well, get
0: more well, I, excited I, about this, I, honestly. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, you know, Vaticanus this is dull is, stuff. Is so, I mean, I wish valuable. you could get excited
2: about it. Let, let me add here, too, that uh, as far as we can tell, P75 is not the ancestor of Vaticanus because it's got some readings – that are significantly later. They're, they're obvious additions that are not found in Vaticanus. Oh, okay. So, even though it's 100, 150 years earlier than Vaticanus, both of them point to an even earlier stratum, and it was not in any, any kind of an ecclesiastical uh, committee, as, as Tommy said, but this is just a pure line of transmission.
0: Well, in a Catholic conspiracy, you know. Yeah, right. And yeah, we don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, Vaticanus, here, very quickly. Uh, what is that thing? That the yeah, yeah, I've thing? already
1: said it because yeah. I didn't know this uh, yeah, yeah. this question uh, beforehand. But you have the note about the fool who changed the text. Right here. Yeah. It starts with more, And you have the American word uh, moron. It comes from this more, moron. Don't.
0: Moron. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Now, well, down here we have a feature that's kind of interesting. It's a circle.
1: Yeah, that's modern. Yeah. A stamp from the Vatican Library.
0: So it's an owner's stamp from the uh, Vatican uh, the Library. The owner's stamp, okay.
2: There's so another feature there. You see the dots on the left of the center column? Yeah, that's indicating it's quotation from the Old Testament.
0: It says, okay, we're quoting the Old Testament. Right. We have ways of doing that today in our modern Bibles. Right. And this says, what, gentlemen,
2: right here? Prost uh Beta, so it's Second Thessalonians. Hebrews comes after Second Thessalonians in this.
1: It's called a subscription. So right, uh, they not only had titles, and the titles is cut. You have cut it, David.
0: It's kind it of cut off over, up there. Uh,
1: but, but they had subscriptions after a writing. They <laughs> had a title of the book, which was which had been. So that is at the end of the of the Thessalonians, second Thessalonians.
2: Mm. You know, you could get colored pictures of that at the Vatican.
1: You get better pictures.
2: Is, is that online you can get a Vatican call. has okay. digitized or, or you could come to managers. see us in TM and look at our copy I'll, of Vaticanus. i
0: pictures of, for some reason this thing. Oh, this thing fell down. Wow, fell down too much. Okay.
2: <laughs> oh, it's open <laughs> it's too. Maybe, maybe the battery's dead. Yeah. Close that <laughs> up. Now you're showing your colored socks. I know That's much my really so
0: colored socks there. <laughs> This thing fell down through my pants.
2: <laughs> How did that happen, David? That's too, TMI, buddy. TMI, too <laughs> much want information. To I will to put it here on my shoe.
0: Okay, put it on
2: about to my
1: talk shoe. About while I know.
0: Yeah, right. right, right, right. Mark's never had that problem. I don't think so. Hey, Codex G here. Tell us about that very quickly. We're just about out of time. I don't. I, don't, I can't see the time back you
2: there. To start. Real quick, okay. this is a manuscript that's in Dresden, and the manuscript actually is multicolored with the letters. It almost looks like uh, neon crayons were used. I don't, I don't think neon crayons. Yeah, okay. I, I, I saw it several years ago.
0: This is just a black and white picture here. Just a black
2: and white. But there and,
0: are two languages here. Yeah, right?
2: there is. There's Greek as the main text, and then you've got the Latin right above it. So it's called a diglot. It's a cousin to another ninth-century manuscript called Codex Augiensis at Cambridge, at Trinity College, Cambridge. And that has Greek on one side Latin um, facing it. So, ah. Tommy, tell them more Oh, about yeah, so edit. this is
1: not corrections on every word, but right, it's right. the Latin translation. It was maybe used uh, for a pedag- pedagogical tool to learn Greek or learn Latin. Uh, so it's bilingual. And what more to say, is this from the Lanier Library, a facsimile?
0: No, no, this is just an image I got. Yeah, because yeah. the
1: black and white image of this particular manuscript from a facsimile edition is a bit dangerous because they manipulated out some some stuff from the real thing. Uh. It was water damage during the war and they had... Hmm. Yeah, so you really need to see the color.
0: The uh, colors of it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Couple of other things. Uh, we don't have time, really. I don't think to comment on this. Let's just go to. Uh, there's a le- lectionary uh, right there, five sixty two, uh, which is not a continuous Bible text, but a, a, a reference to. I think uh, is that Colossians. I can't really see it. From uh, here
1: it starts with Matthew. With it starts with big, Matthew. Big, there, with, yeah. yeah big, the big T.
0: Right. The yeah. big T is the starting of Matthew. There.
1: Uh, yeah. In, in this particular case, because. When you read these lessons in church, you just start within Matthew, in this case, somewhere. And they had to add something for context. Mm. So in this case, they add to Cairo Ekeino. So the big T is "Tokairo Cairo Ekeino. And it, it means in this time, something happened. So they added this typical, Jesus said to his disciples, or in this in those days... And then start reading the hmm. the Matthew text as we know it. Hmm. So this is actually a small addition for context with this big Letter. T.
0: Big T, and it, it, you would you would see it in color too yeah. as well, a variety well, of colors.
2: This uh, is uh, I need to correct you, Gino. It's not lexicon five. Lexionary, Lectionary, six, Lectionary. Lexinary, yeah. Scribe error. At, at, at the beginning yeah. of these lections uh, the uh, to, uh, Cairo Cairo is is a standard. There's six different introductions typically for the Gospels. Oh. But at that time, does occur in the New Testament once in Ephesians chapter 2. Never in the Gospels. So if you're in the Gospels and you see this uh, wording, you know you're in a lectionary. Oh. Uh, it's different selected passages. But that introductory tau, that's very ornate, colorful, and many lines long, tells the reader how important this text is. The beginning of a new section often beginning of a book. And we have that, you know, if you have a, a chapter in a nice-looking book that initial letter might be four or five lines tall. Oh. Well, that's one of the ways in which they do this. This is a very, very uh, tall tau, and you count it by how many lines of text there are. Now, there's another thing that's interesting here, and that is these lections, when they'll, they'll say typically, from the Gospel according to Matthew. Then they'll give you the lection, or from the Gospel of uh, John or Luke or Mark. There are some scribes who copied out lectionaries so often that later when they had to copy out continuous text manuscripts, they put titles at the beginning of their gospel, not the gospel according to Matthew, but from the gospel according to Matthew, Mm -hmm. just because they were used to writing lections and never corrected it. Never did. Never did. I
1: could also just add that if you remember how the papyrus looked... Uh, this is a very different script and they're also combining uh, letter combinations like a cursive hand and it's much later. So you can see the development of the Greek script by looking at these different hmm. types of manuscripts.
0: I noticed that our time is up, gentlemen. I, I wish I've got two or three more of these. We don't have time to go in. Well, would you say thank you to our guest today? <laughs>
2: Thanks, that was fun.
0: I am, I am really glad that people like Dan Wallace and Tommy Wasserman are, are reading these texts so carefully. Let's take a selfie. Can we take, let's take a selfie. Can we do that? All right. There we go. We had our selfie. Let's stand together and we'll pray. And uh, on the way out today, shake a holy hand, hug a holy neck. We have a winner. It looks like Todd. Come on up, my friend. Let's pray and then we'll announce it. Okay. Father, thank you for these good folks who have come this morning and for those who are watching right now live as it's being streamed and for those who will see it one day in the future. Thank you for their attention to this. And I thank you especially for Dan Wallace and Tommy Wasserman, for their skills, for their care, for their enthusiasm, and for the ministry that is taking place with the Center for the Study of New Testament Manuscripts. I pray that you will bless them. I pray that you will, make, uh, you will provide for them. And and pray that that our attention might, they will draw our attention more carefully to these amazing manuscripts and this amazing Bible that you have both uh, inspired but also preserved through the ages. And we thank you through Jesus our Lord. Amen.